Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode is sponsored by Lazy Boy Home Furnishings in Amarillo. You probably know Lazy Boy as a national brand, but some of its stores are independently owned and operated, and the one here in Amarillo is owned by the Hawkins family, who live here in town. Lazy Boy offers customizable furniture so you can design a look that fits you with special financing and products to fit every budget, and almost everything they sell is American-made. It's a lot more than just recliners. Visit Amarillo's locally-owned Lazy Boy Home Furnishings today at 3636 Sauncy. Also, get your tickets now for the Hey Amarillo Beer Fest, July 31st at Starlight Ranch Event Center. You can sample beer from Amarillo and Texas Panhandle Breweries, followed by a concert from the best Def Leppard cover band in the nation. Tickets are available now at bit.ly slash beerfest21. That's bit.ly slash beerfest21. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, which just came out, the new issue, I want to give a podcast shout out to From Six Collective on I-40 between Amarillo and Bushland. In fact, you can hear an interview with the owner, Casey Tam, in a Hey Amarillo episode from way back in January 2019. Look up the shop online at fromsixthcollective.com. Today's guest is Sean Kennedy. Sean is an artist, first of all. He's also an art educator at Caprock High School. He's the president of the Texas Panhandle Art Educators Association. And as an artist, he's exhibited work all over Texas and the Southwest. Now, locally, you may know him as the creator and executive director of Blank Spaces Murals, which is a collective of high school-aged artists that's now responsible for 20 murals in Amarillo and the Texas Panhandle. Now, you've probably heard me say it before, but I think Blank Spaces is producing some of the most significant art in the city right now, and it's a bunch of 16 and 17-year-olds. So we talk all about that and its origin story in this episode. Here's Sean Kennedy. Sean Kennedy, welcome to the Hamrilla Podcast. Thanks for being here today. Uh, thanks for inviting me and having me here. It's a pleasure. Well, it's uh, it's my pleasure too. You're you're one of those people who has uh, been on my potential guest list for at least a year, probably longer than that, because we've been collaborating on some stuff for a while. And I knew I wanted to talk to you, and I knew you were doing interesting things. And um, it, it's been a while, but I'm I'm glad that uh, that you're finally here. We got it worked out. Well, it's flattering that you would say that, and uh, it, it is nice to be here and um, uh, talk about some of the things that are going on in the, the art world and Amarillo. And-, and I know there are a lot of those things, um, and we will find our way to, uh, to bringing them up. But before we do that, I want to start the way I start with all my guests and just ask you why you're here, how you ended up in the Amarillo area in the first place. Well, I think it's you know, most relevant when you think about it as sort of the boomerang effect. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Amarillo um, and always kind of felt better when I'm moving and when I'm active and when I'm in motion. And so from an early age, you know, I started sneaking out and taking road trips to Lubbock and uh, doing things like that. And um, when I got to college age, tried college for a semester, semester and a half, and then uh, just felt the need to to get out, and so I spent the next few years hitchhiking, really? and being homeless, and living under bridges. And that's a very like '70s kind of uh, scenario. Not so much. It is. I uh, 
like most, like a lot of people that end up there, I read Jack Kerouac. I okay. read On the Road. Got into you know beat literature and uh, just felt that that was you know a spirit that you know I wanted to follow in. Um, so but give I, me a time frame. Like like when was when was this period? Uh, this was pretty much right after high school. I did a semester and a half at Emerald College. My mm-hmm. mother is a professor was is a retired professor from there. Come from an educational background. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a terribly frightening period for my parents, but my mother, who is a absolute saint, I think realized I was going to do it w- uh, with or without consent, um, and she had the wherewithal to go and buy a pack for me and a sleeping okay. bag. She made sure you were prepared then. She did. Uh, so I had some pretty nice gear when I, when I went out. Um, and so I spent the next few years doing that, reading, writing, uh, making art, doing you know, doing things you do in the forest. And is this the like early two thousands? Uh, so this was in late nineties. Late nineties. This okay. would have been ninety seven. Okay. Ninety eight. Um, I'm not sure how possible it is to do things like that now. That yeah, that's something that I wonder. Like it seems like it would be hard to do now. Although certainly there are people who do. Um, and then it feels like it would have been harder in the nineties to do it. You know, like like people did in the '60s or '70s, when when that counterculture was really more ingrained, I guess. Well, when I think back on it as well, you know, we survived on prepaid phone cards. Yeah. So we would use pay phones. You know, cell phones weren't really a thing yet, and so that was the way you would communicate. You would kind of find out your next location um, to another group of travelers or a perhaps a festival, an arts festival, a music festival, a place where you could go and um, sell things, uh, handmade jewelry. We did a lot of that. Mm-hmm. I made a lot of art. Um, that was kind of the way that you made money to survive. And, of course, we did odd jobs in jo- you know, for, uh, for various people, building things and okay. what have you. How, like, what were some of the places you ended up in that process? I mean, did you, um, was it purely itinerant or did you, like, stay in a few places for several weeks, months at a time. Stay in a few places several weeks, a month at a time. You would kind of, like I said, you would hear of something. So I would was in Austin for a while, um, went out to Flagstaff, uh, traveled up and down you know, the West Coast, was in Colorado, Denver. You were, we were in places that were friendly to the culture that we were living in. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't necessarily the type of, homeless people that were forced to be homeless. You know, it was a cultural choice and yeah. it was more of an, a, a freedom and an expression of trying to kind of reconnect with yourself. I spent a lot of time in the woods. What did you learn in the process? Like, was it, was there that self-discovery kind of thing? Did you come out of it thinking, okay, now I've, I've got some clarity about something or? Yeah, I did. I lost track of time. I lost track of what month it was, what day it was. Uh Um, A lot of the things that are kind of instilled into you uh, throughout life, I was able to sort of free myself from some of that, uh, get lost in thought, Uh, spent, like I said, a lot of time in books, Mm -hmm. reading, thinking, you know, kind of cliche thinking back, but you're looking at reading Thoreau and uh, a lot of philosophy. And so, I mean... I did gain a lot of perspective, a lot of understanding from that. I also learned what it's like to live without anything. Yeah. 
um, which is almost what drew me back to you know civilization and a more normal state of mind. I became more appreciative of you know hard earned work and okay. what it takes to survive. Uh, when you're on the road, you depend on other people's generosity a lot. I didn't like that. Um, I want to be self reliant and I want to make my own. And so I had ended up um, in Dallas staying with my sister. She'd bought me a plane ticket to come home to see my mother for Mother's Day. I came home. My mother instinctively hired me to do a bunch of landscaping, construction stuff, to put money in my pocket. I decided that that was the way I liked it. Um, and then quickly kind of got back into a normal way of living. How long did that period last? Um, a year. Okay. Got back in college, went back to WT, studied English there. I had originally, when I went to school, was a journalism major. So when I was in high school, I was the editor of The Sandstorm. Um, journalism was important to me. Writing was important to me. It seemed like my English teachers were the ones that let me really express what was going on, which oftentimes for me wasn't great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was a problematic kid. Uh, I came from an idyllic home, perfect parents. Uh, I seemed to make my own disturbances. Uh, and so I, I think that when I met some of these English teachers and people that I could say anything and they let it, and I, it was safe. It was safe. Yeah, yeah. Art was always important to me. I was always good at it. My mother was an artist. Um, I've done it my whole life, but I could not do it in an academic realm. Okay. I wasn't given the, 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 the freedom or it wasn't conveyed to me in the same way that words were. So did you, did you graduate with like an English degree from WT? I graduated with an English degree from North Texas. Okay. And so I stayed in Amarillo for about two years, did graphic design. So I was still in the visual art stuff, started doing painting. And then I transferred out to North Texas and then earned a BFA in studio art and painting. Okay. And then um, in English as well. All right. Which is that, I mean, that's a unique combination. If you look at my personal work, it kind of makes sense. Okay. I have a hard time breaking the two apart. I like to talk about it. Most people would consider me a conceptual artist. Um, I'm not the type of person that wants to make something pretty. I don't want to meditate about something. I don't have a spiritual connection to it. It's uh, very much a struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to say that painting was like having a fist fight in my head. Uh, it's very much this sort of grappling with ideas, and that's the excitement to me. Okay. And so the two fit well together for me. If you look at a lot of my pieces, there's text in it. There's a combination of imagery I've done stuff with spoken word and uh, performance. I like the combination of expression. 
and you add a layer of music into that, or you, I like the way those things layer and overlap and create new meanings. And I really like the fact that there's sort of this liminal space that is unexplained. Okay. And I think that probably relates back to the fact that I like to be in motion, to be in movement. Um, because you can't nail down a specific definition of something. It's always changing. It's always in flux. And I, that's what I find to be so interesting. And that's a, it's a unique mindset for someone who ultimately went into education. Because a, a lot of people, at least when they think of educators, they think of, right, I'm going to communicate this it, there's not a lot of abstraction. It's about facts. I'm going to teach you things. I'm going to show you how to do something. I'm going to talk about events and history, whatever. Um, but having that, that real appetite for abstraction um, doesn't always feel like a good fit with someone who's going to go into teaching. So how did, you, how did you find your way into that? Like, was that something that you wanted to do in college or did it, uh, did it kind of choose you? I think people from my past are very shocked when they find out that I'm a teacher. Um, just from rebellious behavior and, you know, being a little bit um, in-group, out-group type of thinking. But when you look at my family history, education makes sense. I come from a family of educators, my mom, my dad, my stepdad, aunts, uncles, cousins. You know, they're, most of them are in administration or in teaching uh, somewhere, uh, whether it be high school or uh, higher education. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it... It's always been in my DNA. I've always been around it. Uh, my natural knee-jerk reaction is to resist information that's given to me. Um, and so once I do that, then it gives me a chance to disseminate it and kind of understand it and then put it back together, uh, which is what I think has been advantageous to me when it comes to teaching. I've always kind of said that I'm trying to undo what education has done to our kids. Okay. So you see that through standardized testing, through linear thinking, through uh, formulaic processes. You go through A, B to equal C. And I think that if you're really going to be uh, someone that changes the way we think about things, and to really embrace that creative mindset, which is what the arts do and why they're so important, is that it's teaching you to think in the sort of abstract way and not even outside of the box, but in a more like four-dimensional way where ideas are being created outside of you know normal types of thinking. That's why what we do in the studio is so important and it's so important to our kids. Okay. One of the things we do in the studio classroom is do open-ended projects and you should see the horror in a child's eyes when you say you can do anything you want. Mm -hmm. That's terrifying. Yeah. Because they've never been told they, they, that before. They need some boundary lines to walk within. They do. Just let them loose, like, like any artist, you know, really is. Um, yeah, that that doesn't fit with school. No. And I've created systems that help guide and you know point in directions, but 
and, and over time that improves and gets better. Uh, but it's, it still brings me great joy when I see that terror yeah. in a kid's face, because that means we're about to embark on a journey and we're about to learn something, um, about, you know, who you are as a person and, you know, what's with inside of you and that moment where you get to start discovering what you're thinking. And as a writer, you probably know this is that you have ideas in your head, but until you start to try to put them on paper, to try to type them out and organize them, you're really explaining those things to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, what's been so you know brilliant about this. And so I love making art, but I love writing about it and I love talking about it because that opens me up and gives me understanding to what's going on as well. And it feels, you know, like what you're doing is uh, maybe more experimental than a lot of people might find um, in a school art setting. Um, but like I'm, I, I think a lot of people have the perspective when you when you have artists who are good at art in high school is because they have a natural talent. And I I think that's true to a degree. But then over the past few years, like I've been pretty attuned to the art coming out of the high schools and consistently the best stuff I'm seeing is from Keprock students. Uh, And so it's not just, it's not just an innate talent. It's the ability to sort of nurture that talent. And I wonder if you're, if you're wide open, express yourself, there are no rules. Here's, you know, here's your blank canvas uh, is really having some effect in nurturing that talent. I believe it's about building a culture. Okay. A lot of people know what they belong to, perhaps by the way they were raised, by their environment, by their friends. Uh, but there are a lot of young people that don't know what they're good at or haven't had the opportunity to see, you know, where their talents reside. Um, and that might not naturally be rendering a figure realistically. Uh, that seems to be the go-to for a lot of people that uh, I can't even draw a stick figure, yeah. which I hear more than enough. Uh, art for them is, is drawing. It's drawing. Is- and then art for me is thinking. Art for me is conceptualizing. Art for me is pulling things apart and putting them back together. Uh, and so... A lot of the students that are drawn to our program may not have been gifted, you know, draftsmen. They have, you know, they've they they've come to the, my environment because they see that it's open and that it encompasses a lot of things from film to music to you know. There's lots of different disciplines that fall within, you know, the the fine arts, and so they see it as a place where they're comfortable, where they can talk, where they can have like great conversations. And then every now and then we sneak some drawing and painting in there and they figure out, oh, well, I might be good at this. Or I might be looking at this in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Teaching abstract painting to kids is very difficult. Uh, But once you kind of let them free, they're like, oh, wow, I really like this. Um, I'm, I'm understanding this. And it can be taught. It just, it's just you can't grip it so tight that it doesn't have the freedom to, to move around. 
you know, you see the same analogy with like race car drivers. Mm-hmm. Like you can't get so tight and strangle the, you know, the steering, steering wheel. wheel. You've got to loosen your grip. It's that flow state and it exists within everything that you do, whether you're a football quarterback or you're a surfer or a mountain climber, or if you're doing anything that's mental, physical, combining those two things together, it's you have to reach this state where you're somewhat in control, but you're also letting, you know, the physics and the, you know, the unnatural things sort of filter into that. And I've heard that from musicians and guitarists who tell me if, if I think about what I'm about to play, that's when I mess up. I, I have to know what's coming, but I can't think about it. I just, I just let that muscle memory take over. Absolutely. Watch the Tiger Woods documentary. Yeah. I mean, you just see it in everything. And it's this sort of, I guess, repetition and practice and finding that state where you're not overthinking it too much, but you're thinking about it just enough to get some sort of new result. If you want something too bad, then it's never going to come to fruition. How long have you been at Caprock? 16 years. Okay. Is that is that where you started, or did you do anything before? Uh, when I moved to Amarillo from Dallas, I, I thought that I was going to be in graphic design or advertising or marketing um, and ended up getting a job teaching at Bowie Middle School. Okay. Taught there for two years, taught sixth grade, which was phenomenal. There's nothing more exciting about a sixth grader. Uh, They are ready to go every day. Mm -hmm. They are geared up. Not yet jaded or excited. And then when you get to high school, you're trying to wake people up. Okay. So there's a difference and they're, uniquely challenging before we started um recording you were listing to me some of your titles and i wonder if you could do that on mic just to give people a sense of that that what you do is more than than teaching art classes so tell me tell me some of the titles some of the things that um that you identify as right it's kind of embarrassing i guess but there are they're, they're out there i don't know if they legitimize me i still see myself as the same 15-year-old high school punk, but um, I, we're putting these ideas out there in the world, and I think people are paying attention, and they're making sense of it, and we're organizing in a way now that it's constructive. So uh, the first title, I guess, was the Department Head of Fine Arts at Caprock. I am also the president of the Texas Panhandle Art Education Association, which serves about 70 school districts. Puts on a number of events each year. For number of events. Students. Yeah, I would love to talk about that. Um, as we're emerging from COVID, we are really excited and got some great plans uh, for this coming academic year. And then I am the uh, executive director for Blank Spaces Murals and Gallery. And... Um, there were some other adjectives after that, but that, that's good enough. Before before we talk about any of those specific things, like tell me why that larger approach. I mean, there are a lot of a lot of teachers, a lot of instructors at the high school level who are content to do their classes um, to to lift up students, to see them succeed, and and that's what they do. Uh, but you're involved in larger things beyond the classroom, and I wonder. Why? Like, what, what drives you to 
to take those further steps that maybe are not required as a teacher for AISD? Well, I've always considered myself an artist first. That's what I identify as. Uh, teaching is kind of a hobby for me. I think that what art has done for me and how it has helped me transform my life and give me purpose and give me direction um, at a you know at a time where I didn't have much to latch on to mm -hmm. I didn't have many resources uh, I kind of had to figure a lot of things out for myself um, I want to provide those same opportunities for other people okay um, I've seen through these programs that it can transform anyone's life a lot of the people that come into this realm of all these different projects and things that we do go on to be veterinarians and um, scientists and medical doctors and they they go on to study everything other things right it's not just for people like me that are you know central to making visual art but i believe that the creative arts can have an impact and help you to live a better, more fulfilled life. I think about this a lot. It helps me to understand the world. It helps me to give it perspective and filter it. And I want to give that to other people because I know that it'll give them some sort of happiness. So earlier I talked about not being really meditative and, yeah. you know, it being more of a struggle for me. I guess there is that other side. Okay. It allows you to expand, you know, the, the value that, that you see in art and how it changed your life. Um, as a teacher, you can impact those students within your classroom. Some of these other things give you an opportunity to impact students who don't go to Caprock, who don't live in Amarillo, um, who may not have the opportunities that, people in Amarillo public schools have, you know, toward arts. Um, so tell me, tell me about, you know, the, uh, the art educators association and, uh, and some of the stuff that you're doing. So that one's, uh, with the idea that it's not fair that if you go to another school that you can't get access to the same resources that you can from another school that can be within, uh, AISD or Canyon, but we're really looking at the broader panhandle. We want to reach out to everyone and we want to build a connectivity. Um, you and I have talked about this before through Ignite, who you were our first keynote speaker with uh, mm -hmm. Mayor Ginger Nelson. And the idea behind that, we brought in 400 students from all around the panhandle. We had 50 professional artists, business leaders, uh, educators come in provide workshops uh, ranging from you know, ceramics to cultural diversity to murals. We mm -hmm. were talking about murals at that point in time. How to uh, make a podcast. How to make a somewhere. podcast. Yeah, you came in and talked. I mean, like we were really trying to bring in a lot of different ways to be creative. And so many people get caught up in you got to be a painter. Yeah. They, they like that one thing. Well, there's, as you know, there's hundreds upon hundreds of ways to be productive. The creative arts contribute over $3.5 billion to the Texas economy. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Um, and so part of our job is that we want to demystify what the arts are. 
Uh, we want to break down this moniker of the starving artist and give students the experiences, the knowledge, and the confidence to pursue the creative arts and do what they're passionate about. So using that as a transition, the the opportunity, the confidence that comes from having you know, a chance to produce something and, and to have some structure to it. Tell me, tell me about blank spaces and sort of how that um, is a fulfillment of, of some of those ideas. So blank spaces came about, it's, it's weird because you just start to see stars align. People start thinking about stuff. You hear someone else is talking about this. Um, I had been painting murals for 20 plus years in public spaces in private residences. It's just another tool in the artist tool bag. As you know, to become a person that makes a living on making art, you have to know how to do a lot of different things. Yeah. You have your hands in lots of different projects. You have to be diversified. And so murals is one of those things through a series of connections um, through Jacob Breeden, who I met Dyron Howe through, um, Dyron and I started having a series of meetings and talking a lot about what this looks like on a bigger scale. Uh, he had visited Wynwood Walls in mm-hmm. Miami. We had looked at the transformation there. Uh, he had turned me on to the Philadelphia Mural Project, which is uh, over 30 years old now. Um, we spent a year and a half to two years incubating this idea meeting with artists, talking to people, bringing students in together around a round table, trying to figure out, you know, what does it look like? What are we going to call it? And then one day we just did it. We did it without knowing where we were going to end up. We just went and started buying paint and started inviting people out. Uh, I had a list, a very long list of students that I thought would be interested. A small number of those showed up. Mm-hmm. An even smaller number stayed. Uh, and ever since then, it's just been a very fast train moving forward. What was the first mural? Snack Pack for Kids. Okay. And so we had met, like I said, with Dyron um, and... 2018? Yes. Yes. And so... We just we had we had concepts, we had ideas, we had gone through that stage. That took that takes a long time. A lot of people think that you know, the painting is the hard part. It's that's not it at all. It's you know working with clients and coming up with ideas, and you know that, that that's also the exciting part. Mm-hmm. The painting part's the easy part, unless it's 105 outside, then it gets tricky. And so, yes, we started putting paint on the front of Snack Pack. We worked with the city on a mural grant, mm-hmm. but that kind of came after we had right. painted. You had already started it. Right. Snack we Pack. weren't waiting for um, the green light. There was no, like, there, there comes a time where you just have to jump out and see what happens, um, which is the way I kind of operate anyways. I kind of get halfway into something and then figure out what I'm doing. Uh, and that's just kind of... That's how you get stuff done. Uh, I made a joke the other day that if if we waited for nice weather in Amarillo, we would never get a mural painted. Yeah. Because people are like, why are you painting murals when it's 35 degrees outside? And this, these are true stories. Because we have deadlines. We have yeah. clients. We have 
projects we have to You're get professionals. to. You're professionals. We're professionals. We do it. Like, I mean, it is, it is some of the hardest and most physical work that you can do. Um, because like I said, it goes from one extreme to the next. Like we were trying to finish two murals, uh, for, for two nonprofits in town, uh, throughout all the rainstorms and the hailstorms we're putting up, closing down the paint ran, got to repaint it. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's exciting. 2018 is when you started. How many murals at this point has blank spaces? We have finished our 19th. Okay. With uh, several more planned this year. Uh, we have a little over a dozen. Okay. That were on the books. We're booked through, it snows again. And I, I, I want to provide listeners some context for this. Um, because we, you and I have worked together. Uh, I'm, I spent three years as the, the chair of the city's public arts board. And we were distributing grant monies. Um, you know, working with businesses, working with artists to increase the amount of murals in the city. Um, you guys were one of those very first ones. And at this point, you know, three years into it, we're now in a position as a board where we're receiving applications. We're having to decide, you know, which ones to grant money to. And when we see the name blank spaces attached to it, everybody's just like, oh, yeah, they'll do a great job. I mean, it's, it's just a given. We don't have any worries about that. If it's a new artist, we have to talk about it. We have to figure out if we trust their vision, if we like the design, all that stuff. Blank Spaces almost has carte blanche now because you've proven yourself. And that's, that, that makes sense for an organization that's been doing it for three years until you start to think this is an organization made up of high school students. Uh, and and so like now you are the most experienced, the most trustworthy, the most credible muralists in the city, and it is still a team of high school students who are just kind of rotating through this this program. That's what's so incredible to me, and that's a story I tell all the time about Amarillo because I think it's so great. And of course, that was an uphill battle. Yeah, people were like, "You're high school kids." Yeah. Um, you know, we do have two professional artists. We have our project manager, Shando O'Neill. Um, who is essential to the program and it wouldn't exist without her involvement and commitment to these kids and making sure the job gets done right. But that is always the conversation that she and I have is this has to be perfect. This line has to be corrected. We don't put out work that is not professionally, you know, elite. Mm-hmm. Like we have high, high standards and our kids know that now. You now, can't look at it and think that a 16 year old did that correct. as opposed to a 35 year old artist. It, it looks, the quality is just as good or better than, than some of the others. And our checklists are deep. Like they think, I mean, a lot of people might think that you're done. Like we're not even close to being done. We have, you know, two pages of things to cross off here. And the kids know those pages now because they show up the last couple of days of production um, and it's all the detail stuff. It's all the stuff I, you know, we'll walk up and down a wall, you know, 10, 15 times looking for every single flaw and we cannot leave until those flaws are corrected. Tell me what the students learn doing this. I mean, beyond getting the experience of making a mural, which is itself, you know, it, it its own type of art that, that has a lot of things that you don't think about if you're painting on a smaller canvas. But like, tell me what this process gives them educationally. So John Cage was the one that said, all you have to do is, is the work. It's all about the work. I fully believe in the work. I don't care how much talent you have. 
how good you are at something, if you're not willing to put in the work, then it's going to be very difficult to achieve your goals. You know, becoming a professional artist is oftentimes as hard as it is to become a professional musician, a sports athlete. Um, it takes commitment and it takes hard work. And even if you don't end up as an artist, you've learned something from the hard work. You've learned something from seeing a project through. The first 60, 70% of any painting is exciting. It's new. It's, you know, you're, you're learning, you're doing stuff. Something, the, the last 30% is the hardest part. That's the pushing through. You're bored. You've lost attention. Um, writing can be that way. It, it, lots of things are that way. Mm -hmm. It's the final. It's the grind. It's the grind. And you have to see things through. You have to follow through with stuff. Um, and so that's one of the major things that we give our kids. We also give our kids the opportunity to uh, have an opinion. I respect any 16-year-old, 17-year-old that's working in our program. I, I respect their opinion as much as anyone else's. I'm like, what color goes here? Mm -hmm. What is the problem? Why am I not seeing this? And oftentimes they'll tell me and they're right. I'm like, that. that's it. Um, they solve problems actively and they understand that I respect their opinions. Um, sometimes it's a group opinion and we get together and we decide what, which one's the right one, but they have authority within our program. They, they were hired into our program yeah. because of something special that they have. And oftentimes that's not artistic ability. Oftentimes that's the ability to listen that's the ability to make decisions. That's the ability to lead. Um, every intern brings something to our program. And it's not a paint-by-number thing where the art teacher draws something and you guys are the workers. You go and paint your stuff. I mean, they're involved in everything from the planning, the conceptual work, the budgeting, making mm -hmm. sure you've got you know the, the right inventory of paints. I mean, like... All that stuff is is happening with this group of students. Very important for for them to have a say, for them to be a part of the production. That it's that it's their artwork. It's not my artwork. Um, now, granted, we have you know heavy oversight over the direction of things because we're working with professionals. We're working with a lot of money and budgets, mm -hmm. and so it's got to have the best professional you know outcome. Uh, but they are. A integral part to where that leads to. Uh, and so those sorts of, those are the same kind of tools that you need for any kind of job you go into. You got to be able to collaborate. That is such a major um, part of our program. You've got to learn to collaborate. You got to learn to listen to ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about our team effort. And those are things that you need in any job set. If you're going into the medical field and you're trying to cure uh, COVID, that takes a group of brilliant people to come together and figure that out. It's, this is not just a one-person deal. And so most of our kids do have personal studio uh, time, which all of us do. But it's so amazing to work with other talented artists and to see that collaboration and to see how we can work together to create this finished uh, product and uh, go through that struggle together um, 
you know, I say this frequently that our program is not about putting paint on a wall. The art to us is just a vehicle to tell our stories. And that's to tell the stories of our city, mm-hmm. to tell the stories of our culture. Um, that's to have the time together collaborating and working and learning and oftentimes suffering because it's hot, it's cold, it's windy. Like there's so much that happens throughout this program and the growth that we see in our students that's life-changing. We are very adamant about putting our kids in front of television crews and having them talk to media and having them tell our story. Uh, I have kids that can't put words together at the beginning. They're so shy. Um, They're quiet. And then by the end of it, they're leading. They're showing the way. They're bringing in their new interns, and which we're in the process of doing now. And it's so exciting to see what can happen in 12 months' time. This episode of Hey Amarillo is brought to you by my friends at the WT Enterprise Center, which this summer is celebrating its 20th year of helping local entrepreneurs build great companies. I spent several years as a mentor with the Enterprise Center. I'm also an entrepreneur myself. And the support and encouragement and expertise they offer is just invaluable to this community. From funding and marketing to developing a business plan, the experts at the Enterprise Center can help coach you through every step in the process and connect you to the right resources to address any problems you might have and and help grow your business. One of their current clients is Skip's Salsa, a delicious salsa. I've tried it. It's it's really good. Uh, But it's made right here in Amarillo and available at United Supermarkets, Walmart, and other retailers. uh, And they're a client of the Enterprise Center. Learn more at WTEnterpriseCenter.com. Also, nothing says summer in Amarillo like the Texas Outdoor Musical at Paladero Canyon State Park. It's about the pioneers who first settled this area, and I still love it. The music, the dancing, the spectacle of the canyon walls at sunset. I love it. Get your tickets now at Texas-Show.com. That's Texas-Show.com. Okay, I'm back with Sean Kennedy uh, of Blank Spaces Murals and a whole bunch of other things, uh, which we talked about already. Um, Sean, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, but it also has a very diverse art collection, mm-hmm. uh, including at least eight paintings by the Hudson River School artists, including some by Jasper Francis Cropsey. Uh, so you can learn more at panhandleplains.org. Um, I've always been a big Hudson River School art fan. Indeed. And I, I, don't, I don't exactly know why. Um, landscapes, but I don't know, something about it. The light. Thomas yeah. Cole, all that kind of stuff. Okay, so eight straight. Uh, I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Same questions I ask a lot of my guests. Uh, your job is to answer in as much detail as you want. What's one thing the pandemic revealed to you about local people? This is something that I already knew, but from an educator's standpoint, it's the need for interpersonal communication Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to sit there with the student and be able to exchange um, ideas and read each other. Uh, That's something that is difficult to do 
when um, you rely completely on virtual needs. Mm -hmm. And so it just really brought to the surface for everyone how important, you know, our education system is, how important our, our kids are, and how important it is for our community to help collaborate and you know it takes a village to get these kids going up and out and so especially with so many of the hands-on education whether it's band or orchestra or art like that's hard to do at home in collaboration with other people it you is. don't have the materials you know you you don't have the sounds of other instruments coming into your your ears all that stuff yeah it was a uh, it was a cha- it was a challenging year i have taught um virtual classes for over a decade now i work for the Texas Virtual School Network as well, um, another title. And so uh, I felt versed going into it, mm-hmm. but I still find a great deal of value in studio practice. What does this area have too much of? Fast food. All right. Food deserts, um, food insecure families. Okay. I think that uh, part of our program with Blank Spaces is we feed, uh, feed a hot meal uh, every shift a kid works, we think that nutrition is super important. A lot of high school kids think that a Dr. Pepper and Cheetos constitutes a well-balanced meal, um, and we disagree with that. And so what we try to do is to help educate what's good for the body, it's good for the mind, um, and we work in a lot of neighborhoods. Uh, and, of course, partnering with Snack Pack for Kids, mm-hmm. I've been educated a lot on you know, these areas in our community. And I think that uh, some of some of our communities you know, deserve more than the dollar menu. That's one of the things we don't talk about enough in Amarillo in thinking about inequities and thinking about some of the challenges our community faces is that there are legitimate food deserts, mm-hmm. you know, places where residents are more than a mile or two miles from a grocery store. Mm-hmm. And when you live near a grocery store, it's hard to think about that being a problem because you can live on one side of Amarillo and you can choose between a Walmart or a United within, you know, half a mile of of either direction. But that's not the case all over the city. And not everybody has uh, reliable means of transportation. Yeah, exactly. Okay. What does this area not have enough of? Bicycles. All right. Bike lanes. Bike lanes. Bike paths. Alternative ways of commuting. So that kind of goes back to the food desert even. Um, I'm an avid bicycle rider. I love getting outside. I love to be in motion like we talked about. That's the cure for depression for me. Um, and I think that if we provided uh, or encouraged, you know, through more bike lanes, making it safer uh, for people to get out and ride, I like to ride to get places, to mm-hmm. go see things, um, not just for exercise. The exercise is part of it, but I like to see parts of Amarillo that I haven't seen before. And in my opinion, that's the best way to see any city, any new city, um, is either through walking or bicycling. And so if there are other ways that we can expand that and make it safer and um, more appealable, I think you're going to see more people out there doing it. And I know that that's... An ongoing discussion in the city, adding bike lanes, it's a slow process. Um, that sort of infrastructure talk, you know, it, it takes a lot, of, a lot of discussions in order to get some of those things in motion. And it's, it's been happening for 15 or 20 years. So, It's one of those things like preventative medicine. 
Like, let's get ahead of it. Yeah. And instead of trying how, to catch up. Instead of trying to catch up. Yeah. Right. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? Up and coming. Open spaces, open opportunities. I think Wendy Swope came up with that. Yeah. But it's so true. Um, and to be a part of it and to meet exciting people like yourself and to uh, be a part of these movements where we get people uh, connecting young people with older people so we get the experience with the young excitement. There's a lot of alchemy going on. Yeah. And I think that people are catching on. I think that people are catching on to the whole idea of collaboration over competition that like if we can get together like we can do a lot of amazing things i agree you've guided mural projects you've participated in mural projects all over the city uh what's your favorite neighborhood in amarillo no brainer for me it's the barrio okay uh, i've spent 16 years um i feel very much a part of uh that community I'm connected to them. Uh, Those are a lot of your students. They're my students. I've taught their aunts, their uncles, their parents. I've taught an entire family um, from mother through children. A lot of the graduates uh, come back to become colleagues with me. Um, They invite me to their weddings. They invite me to their interventions. (laughs) Uh, I feel very much connected to them. and I'm all about the people and the buildings are just sort of that representation of it and of, of what those people represent. And so I couldn't ask to be a part of a, a brighter, more colorful, um, welcoming and comforting group of people. Okay. What's your favorite local restaurant? <laughs> That's hard. It's a loaded question, I think. Um, the honest answer is my own kitchen. All right. Uh, my wife is a five-star cook. Uh, my, my daughter the other day said, why would I want to go out and eat, Dad, when my mom cooks five-star meals? I'm like, that's correct, honey. Uh, so we spend a lot of time in our own kitchen, but, uh, and she does uh, private chef stuff. And so um, as far as maybe kitchens that other people can go eat at, I... Really love what Yellow City Food does. Um, we live on a plant-based diet, and some of those options are hard to find. They're really innovating and make it exciting over there mm-hmm. and inspire us to, to be better chefs at our own house. Um, we frequent Tsunami a lot. Okay. Uh, I've never eaten there. Fantastic. Uh, they have a tofu teppan that's just out of this world. Um, small hole in the wall, not far away. Yeah. I, I love the Japanese steakhouse food mm-hmm. as, as a rule. I've never been to that one. And so affordable, clean, and just excellent. Okay. Then I need to fix that. <laughs> Go try it. What's your favorite local coffee shop? So each coffee shop, I mean, I think there's the dominant ones that we think of, although you're starting to see a lot of smaller ones mm-hmm. pop up. I love what the 806 is doing for art for culture, for the San Jacinto neighborhood, which we're uh, deeply invested into as well. The music scene that they do, it's just fantastic. Um, As far as coffee beans, I like the fresh roasted stuff. And so we hit up roasters to to purchase our beans from. Okay. And do you have, I don't know if you'll answer this one or not, but do you have a particular blank spaces mural? I think that would be the next one. Uh, I'm always looking forward. I love the work that we do. 
but I'm always excited about what's coming next. It's about the creative process. It's about growing. And I love living in the moment. I love being on the move. Hey, this is Jason and just a uh, minor hiccup with the recording. My mic cut out for my last couple of uh, comments to Sean. And so I'm recording them in this format and Angelina is going to splice those in. And so um, here it is. Sean, that concludes the eight straight questions. Uh, I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what is one thing you would like listeners to know about or to experience? Public art. It's got to be public art. It's got to be this thing that's happening, this revolution that's going on. Uh, you know, when we started, we, we wanted to collaborate with all these different people. And there's so many wonderful artists out there like Malcolm Byers and Jonathan Phillips and just people that are coming together and like playing a part in this uh, activity. And it's getting people outside. And it's also leveling the playing field. It's giving... Uh, people access to the arts that may not have them. Not everybody goes to an art museum. Not everybody hangs out in those types of spaces. But when you have um, public art, everyone has access to it. Everyone can be a part of it, can come out and interact with it. And one of the main things that I hear when I go out of town is like, where are you from? I'm from Amarillo, Texas. And they're like, oh, yeah, I've been through there. Well, through the public arts, we're trying to give people a reason to stop, to stay, to shop, take some photos, and uh, really kind of learn what the Panhandle Spirit's all about. It's an exciting time to live in Amarillo. Sean Kennedy, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jason. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Sean for a fun conversation. You can learn more about Blank Spaces Murals on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, you can see the work. You can see all the murals. You can see some of the artists. So, so go hit their social medias. Thanks to my friend Angelina Marie for editing the podcast every week. And I also want to say thanks to Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring 8 Straight and to this week's show sponsors, the Texas Outdoor Musical, WT Enterprise Center, and Lazy Boy Home Furnishings. This podcast exists every week because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash Hamarillo. Hamarillo's executive producers include Jess Heredia, Katie Linger, Jason Burr, Barbara and Jim Witten, Chris Selda, Josh Wood, Corey Burns, Patrick Burns, those two Burnses are not related that I know of, um, Wilson Lemieux, and Wes Reeves. This has been episode 204. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>